part of the Press Play Podcast Network. The 1 1 pitch. A swing and a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal! Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Guardians of the Land MLB Podcast. I'm your host, John Tellich. As I record this opening, The Guardians are coming off a very strong weekend. They took two of three from both the Astros and the Boston Red Sox. And the offense, which was lost in action for much of the season, well, it is on its way back to respectability and then some. They certainly ramp things up on the offensive side of the baseball in the recent homestand. In fact, the team tweeted this out, so I thought I would share it with you in case you missed it. During the homestand, they were tops in Major League Baseball. Their batting average was 317. They had the most hits in Major League Baseball of 70, extra base hits of 29, and they were second in Major League Baseball in runs that was 38. So it was very productive for them, and they climbed ever so closely to the Minnesota Twins in the standings now at 31 and 34 as they head into their road trip out in San Diego and Arizona uh, three games under 500 but only a game and a half behind the Twins. Well, today's episode is with John Sable, Fox 8 Cleveland sportscaster and news anchor and as you all remember here on the Press Play Podcast Network, he is one half of the Sable Brothers on the Baseline podcast, a very popular one that is here on this network. And we chat about all things Guardians, all kinds of scenarios, where they stand in the season, some of the many controversies with the team. And also, John will recount his interaction with former Indians pitcher Jim Poole, who is suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And this also coincides with the big bit of awareness in Major League Baseball because of their outstanding research person, uh, Sarah Langs, who is stricken with Lou Gehrig's disease as well. There's a whole bunch of that type of uh, information and attention going towards the disease itself because of Sarah's efforts as well. So we touch upon that. John Sable, my guest this week, right here on the Guardians of the Land MLB podcast. Sit back and listen. John, great to be on with you, my friend, and you and your brother have a fantastic podcast. We'll chat a little bit about that as we move further along here. But on this episode, we're kind of taking the pulse of uh, the Guardians, where they are at this point in the season, uh, whether or not things are trending upwards. And in my estimation, uh, John, they are obviously on the offensive side of things. Their in- increase in offensive production, it's been pretty prevalent, especially what we saw in the most recent homestand. Yeah, I would agree. And thanks for having me back on, JT. Really appreciate it. Love chatting sports and uh, everything in between with you. Uh, when it comes to the Guardians, I really think now as we sit here in early June, they've turned the corner. Um, I think you've seen the offense really come alive in the last two and a half weeks. They've won four of the last five series. That one, that fifth series, they didn't win, they split. So the bats have really come alive. The offense, we all like to think it's revolving around Jose Ramirez, and it really is. And he's had that great four-homer game or four home runs in two days and that three-homer yeah. game 
of this past weekend. But I really think it's been Josh Naylor has been the guy that's really kind of steadied the ship. Uh, I was looking into the numbers uh, yesterday, and since mid-May, he has the best batting average in baseball since mid-May. So when you look at that, and you see how much they've struggled during that time, and then now, and, and then how earlier in the year he struggled and he's mightily, struggled, right? You start to see it a little contagious now, and and I know we always hate to use that excuse. Oh well, you know it's cooler weather. The bats start to warm up when it gets warmer. You know that, that is an excuse, but there's also some truth to that because typically these teams in the past don't ever really get going until about May, yeah. May or end of May into June. This year though, it just delayed a little bit. And we're starting to see the bats fly, and they've had now um, 10 hits in, what, five consecutive games. And you have not they have not done that since 2018. So you're really doing your research. And you're right on the money. I mean, they, they uh, how about having a couple of games in a row where they scored 10 runs? Exactly. And it's funny. I think the first time they broke out of it against, what was it, uh, Baltimore last week or almost now a week and a half ago, they hadn't scored that many runs since, like, game two or game three in Oakland of, of the season. Yeah. So you knew it was going to be, you know, at, at some point they were going to break free because those numbers in their offense up until about two and a half weeks ago were historically bad. Some of the worst numbers that we've ever seen from a team um, in, you know, two, two and a half months' worth of play. But now – we're starting to turn the corner here, and I think they have have done that. What's helping them is that the American League Central, as we know, is just yeah. awful. If the Guardians were in the AL East, they'd be dead last. They did. They really were. I saw someone making that comparison recently. Right, and the Twins are still floating around there as we record this year. They're game and a half up on them in first. I still think they go to the playoffs. I still think they probably end up winning the division, and I think it's going to be a two-team race between Cleveland and Minnesota. Yeah, it really will be. Um, boy, I'll tell you what. You did mention the increased offense and some of the numbers that are behind the numbers if you will uh let's go back to the night where they came back five different times mm. and they went it in 14 and by the way they crammed so much baseball and so much fun that was four hours yeah. you know we know they have the the change in the rules this year uh the fi- uh, quicker tempo and stuff but there you really you got hot dogs you got fireworks and you got two i mean you got a marathon long game yeah and all that offense and and a walk off, which we haven't seen the Gatorade pitcher uh, cooler that much this year. Maybe that's a sign of things to come. I, I think so. And to your point, who thought that extra inning rule would create so much excitement with all those yeah. lead changes? I was working that night, JT, and as you know, former legendary broadcaster in Fox Eight, you're editing and you had to re-edit. And you think, think you've got the final highlight. Think of all the beat writers that already had their stories written and then they got to delete it and then start it again. So, you know, it kept going on and on and on. And then, um, you know, we got done with the news and they're still going on. And so I'm driving home, listening to the game on the radio, <laughs> driving right past the ballpark and the game ends. And then you see the fireworks go off. But uh, what an exciting game. Probably one of the most exciting games since this season by far. Yeah. And uh, you've got to go back to last year's playoff run, to probably uh, some of the walk-offs that Oscar Gonzalez had last year in playoffs that kind of match that. Uh, but, you know, it is good to see a game like that because it, it tests them. It's going to boost the morality of their team. You know, you're really going to get their confidence. If any guy on that team, any hitters that were struggling that were lacking some confidence, definitely got some there because everyone seemed to hit the ball in that game. Yeah. And you you had some of those young kids came up with some uh, clutch hits. I know Freeman had one, and and some of the other Will young Brennan. Play- and Will Brennan. Yeah. And so you know they're the ones that get to uh, share the uh, the media spotlight with Andre Not you know after the game, and that's all well and good, and yes. that's kind of fun. Uh, which goes to the other side of the coin. 
I know there's been discussion in the media recently about the kids that they allowed to leave the organization. Will Benson comes to mind down in Cincinnati <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, Nolan, Nolan Jones. Jones in Points North. Your thoughts on that? Do they give up too much on these kids? Did they just let Benson go? Because, I mean, his numbers really never seem to be anywhere here in this what organization. I thought, what I thought was really interesting, and maybe this is just the this is the baseball gods, I guess you could say, kind of giving it to fans here because <laughs> coincidence that on the night that the Guardians had these these wins, you had Will Benson have the walk-off home run for the Reds. Then he had Nolan Jones hit a home run, and then like two days later had that walk-off home run on Sunday against, against, against San Diego that went 472 feet in the upper deck of Coors Field. I think we knew what Will Benson was going to be. I, I think I don't see him being a consistent player with the Reds, in my personal opinion. Uh, I'm happy for him with that game. You know, I, I think they did their due diligence on him for the long haul. I think that because that, that performance might have just been an outlier. When it comes to Nolan Jones, I don't know if we saw enough of him. Now, I was never a big Nolan Jones guy, but if you're going to spark a young kid's offense, what better place to play than Mile High City in Denver? I don't know if the return, you know, if the juice was worth the squeeze, if you know what I mean. I yep. don't know if we got enough. But then again, you didn't really know what you had or the Rockies didn't know what they had either. Yep. I think it also was a numbers game, too, with all these different players. You know, the, the Guardians weren't expecting Oscar Gonzalez to struggle. I mean, Nolan Jones was blocked yep. when you think about Will Brennan, Oscar Gonzalez and Miles Straw and Stephen yep. Kwan. So the value that he had, he didn't have value. So, yeah, you, you can sit back and you know, kind of give the front office a hard time just because of what Nolan Jones has done in a week, though. At the same time, he didn't do much of anything. It was timing. It was timing. So I don't think they gave up too early on him. I just think it's just one of those situations that for a young kid, change of scenery and being at the right place at the right time benefits him. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely the case. It's it's convenient for the sports talk uh, radio shows to kind of focus in on that stuff. And you were mentioning, you know, the trades uh, or the transactions that sent these kids away. In recent times, all we keep hearing are rumors or just, you know, talk fodder, if you will, about the benefits or, the you know, the pluses or minuses of using this huge asset that is Mr. Bieber yeah. and getting something for him. Where do you stand on that? So let's look at his contract, for instance. So the Guardians own his contract for the next two seasons, right? So he's they up control. for arbitration. They control him. So they have arbitration this summer, and they would have arbitration the next summer, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So they have all the leverage in the world. And so I think he's making, what, $10.5 million this year with arbitration, and that number is just going to go up next year. They aren't hurting to get rid of him based on the numbers contrary to what some fans like to think of of ownership and being cheap that's not the equation here no the equation or, or the, the the conflict here is do you deal a guy who's already uh probably hit his peak maybe or in his prime of his career now and try to get all of what you can right now and even with having arbitration because you can get quite a haul for him but i will be honest if this was 2019 and if let's say that he has pitching like he played in 2019 now, the hall would be probably double. Yeah. He's not the same pitcher he was a few years ago. His velocity and his fastball continues to drop every That's year. That's been noted. But still, you're still going to be able to get some nice pieces in return. Do you make that move? I think, JT, it comes down to where are they at in a month? 
Let's say they're still winning. The trade deadline's uh, early eight, August, end of eight July. Eight weeks away or yeah, so? eight weeks, seven, eight weeks. If they're still winning like they are now, and let's say they're in first place and Beaver's still pitching well, I don't see how they consciously can just deal him when they're winning. If they're kind of struggling and they kind of get back in that April, May rut and maybe they're four or five games out, I think they deal him. But it's winning. And they know they have control on him for two years. They can reapproach us in the winter if they need to, if yeah. they want to deal him. Um, I don't think they're resigning him. I think that they they try to resign him. It didn't. Ha- they, his money is too yeah, much asking too much. price, the the market value, and we've seen that time and time again in this town. What they do. At base, I mean, can we, we sit here and list all the guys? It's incredible. Well, you I, go from the you know the uh, you know CC Sabathia, Cliff Lee, and, Cliff Lee and, mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth down Clevenger and and Bauer, uh, Bauer, to, Trevor Bauer you know, was a, one that got a decent haul, and so. He, the timing's got to be right, and at the end of this season, I don't know. I, I agree with you. It's almost like a two-pronged uh, look at the the where the team is in about seven weeks or so from now. And what do you get in? That's the other thing. And, what are you going to get? Like you need a you don't need a prospect. You need a major league ready established bat. If it's just a one for one, that bat better be that major league ready proven bat. This team doesn't need any more prospects. Yeah. They need someone to help them now. Yeah, their major league ready bat that's always produced uh, on the offensive side of things has always been Jose Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Uh, his RBIs are down this year for an for an obvious reason. It, or, you know, the first month and a half of the season, nobody was on base. Right. You know, and whereas a year ago it was absolutely insane the amount that he was producing. But he yeah. is still, you know, he's a year away or so from the problems he had with his hand. I think you're going to see in the next three and a half months or so a very uh, a productive Jose Ramirez. I think you will because you just started to see it last week or this past weekend, excuse me, with the four home runs in two games, three in one game. You're starting to see it. And I think it's hitting is contagious, right? Yeah. And so I know we got the day off on Sunday and a well-deserved day off. But as the season goes on, the summer goes on, once they kind of get more, um, you know, more of the rhythm on offense, they're starting to see these pitchers a second time and these teams a second time around is also key. Uh, that's the one guy I'm never worried about is Jose Ramirez. He's the one constant on this team. There are some slumps. Everyone has slumps. But he's a guy that will turn on at some point. And usually, if you look at his numbers, his Septembers are always big. Yeah. And uh, this year, they may need to to have an incredible September for him because it's going to be game by game, uh, a duel down right to the end of the season, I think, with Minnesota to get that uh, division. I, w- I would agree. And I think if you look at Jose Ramirez's numbers and look what he's done, he's been in the top five, what, four of the last five years, I think, give or take, of final uh, yeah, MVP. MVP. Um, you know, I think he, we'll see if he can get back in the top five, you know, conversation. I don't know if he will. But I, I still think you're still going to have some good numbers and some, uh, you know, good outcomes here from him going on the rest of the season. It's just unlike Jose to to struggle consistently. He'll get out. He'll he'll bounce out of it at a consistent rate, which I think we're starting to see. But I do think, to your Twins point, it's going to be Guardians and Twins down the road. Uh, Minnesota's got questionable pitching, like it always seems like they do. We know their hitting's great. They made that trade with the Marlins that send Luis Arise down there who killed Cleveland last yeah. year uh, for that young pitcher. So I they needed to do something, yep. but we'll see if that pitching can withstand, their lack of pitching withstand if their hitting can carry them into their season. All right, we've got much more to talk uh, to John about on your uh, 2023 Cleveland Guardians. We are going to take a break here with John Sable and come back with more on the Guardians of the land mlb podcast john tellich here with john sable back in a real quick minute 
What's up, everyone? I'm Holly Wetzel. And I'm Tigers Powell. And we are your hosts of the Orange is Oranger, a Cleveland Browns podcast on the Press Play Podcast Network. We give you all the dog pound coverage that you'll need to get you through the regular season, hopeful postseason, and I'd say off-season, Tyvis, but is there really ever an off-season for this team? Thankfully for our podcast, Holly, there really never is when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. Don't miss our breakdown of each week's matchup, game recaps, and any and all news out of Berea to feed your Browns appetite. As we know, Holly, dogs gotta eat. Yes, they do. So hit that subscribe button and never miss an episode of the Orange is Oranger, Cleveland Browns podcast on the Press Play Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, it's Sam Amico from Cavs on the Break NBA podcast. Be sure to give us a listen for all your Cleveland Cavaliers recaps, analysis, breakdowns, draft talk, free agency. The list goes on and on. Give us a listen. Cavs on the Break NBA podcast. We chatted, John, about Shane Bieber. We've chatted about the offense perking up, and that's all great. But I think we really wouldn't be in this conversation with the the team close behind the Twins if it weren't for those two kids that came up from, from Columbus, Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee. Your impressions so far on these two kids? I think with Zach Meisel, the athletic, wrote it best that those two young guys are the MVPs of this team right now as we sit here in early June, early yeah. mid-June. And I couldn't agree more. These guys rose quickly through the system. And when they broke camp, we didn't really know when we'd see them back here. Or, or not back here, when they would make their debut here. And it was quicker than we thought. Yeah, the and injuries. The injury to Savali and Tristan McKenzie. And kind of back to the Shane Bieber point, the fact that these two guys have already been having a great start to their careers is making almost Shane Bieber expendable, which yeah. has caused these rumors to, to percolate and everything. Uh, I, you know, I think these two young guys are going to be the face of this rotation along with Tristan McKenzie. These three are going to be the guys here for the long haul. You know, and don't, you got Williams down in... You I know, was going to say Gavin Williams, and he's going to be the next guy that's going to come up here. I mean, like... Every year, every couple of years, the Guardians just spit out pro, uh, pitching prospects like no other. Don't forget about Dan, uh, Daniel Espino, who um, unfortunately we haven't really seen much. We haven't of him seen in much. Two years. Yeah, and he's injured too. But he was going to be the next guy. He should have already been here yeah. if he hadn't gotten those back-to-back injuries. But uh, you know, I think my one question that I have regarding uh, Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee is that wh- how are teams going to adapt to them the second time around once the teams get a book on him on them? come late July, early August, around that time. Because then it's going to be all about adjustments. How are those two guys going to adjust to these teams that now already know what you're, what you're going to be throwing and what your patterns are uh, and, and all that kind of situations? Because that right there is going to be a good test for those young pitchers. And it's a young test for any major leaguer, too, if you think yeah. about a hitter at the plate, too. Well, uh, and they're, they're certainly trending upward. Here's some stats for our, our stat geeks, as it were. And this is also courtesy of our buddy Zach. Uh, Zach just does a great job over at the Athletic. Basically, a, a K per inning per kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you can count on that. They're, they have the ability to punch people out. They started that way in their major league careers with those uh, uh, consistent punch outs that they had, and they continue to do that. And combined, their ERA is 2.96. So things are trending up for those two young individuals, and things have not trended up for one James Karinchak. Let's let's uh, let's talk about him. He's going to be down in Columbus for uh, let's just say the foreseeable mm-hmm. future till he gets things uh, straightened away. What did you see out of him uh, before he went away? And 
he's certainly a salvageable. I mean, he's not uh, ready for the scrap heap by any imagination. No, I, it, I don't think his. It didn't shock me that he was he was sent down um, after the struggles a little bit because he's had some flashes this year of 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 some you know control issues, which has unfortunately been his mo. But he also seems like at times where he's kind of fixed it. It's very inconsistent. It's very up and down. So it didn't surprise me that he got sent down because the timing of everything after what happened over the weekend and, and some of his starts uh, or excuse me, some of his relief appearances. But this is something where they're going to monitor. They need him to work through his control. Um, they need to, his curveball is absolutely devastating when it hits, but some yep. of these guys are sitting on it. I don't know if he's tipping his pitches. I don't know if it's just something where he's just not getting the right spin on it, but so, that's the big thing with some of these guys when he's getting out the big hits, that curveball just hangs and, and they, they, that's having the book on him. To me, it's between the ears. When it comes to these pitchers, if you don't have the confidence or the focus, then your mechanics are going to be off. It's a trickle-down effect. And James Karinchek is a very emotional guy. We see it on the mound. Saw it the first night of the season that he was on the hill. Right. You saw it on the road. You saw how the fans got to him and how, you know, he might have been the first guy in Major League Baseball to, uh, uh, you know, get hit by the the the, the timing rule. You know, right. It took too and, much and, time. And that's a good segue, JT, because... I think the pitch clock, and this has been talked about, has really hurt him because he's a guy that used to always take his time. He has his, he kind of reminded me, this is a kind of a, a random comparison, but you will remember this. When Manny Ramirez first broke into the big leagues, and I know he was a hitter, not a pitcher, he always was had very gyrations. He was kind of like a Mike Hargo, human rain delay yeah. in a way. He's always fixing his batting, always like, you know, twitchy, kind of just like, you know, yep. not really relaxed. That's how James Karinchek is on the mound or was. When you have that pitch clock, He's not in. He's not. He doesn't have time to do that. He's not. He's out of his element. And by doing that, it's affecting. I think his focus. It's affecting his mechanics and it's affecting his wildness, if you will. And I think if you go down back to the minors where the pitch clock is already there, it was there last year before it came to the majors. The Guardians are hoping that he'll be able to kind of get in a better rhythm. Emmanuel Classe, I think, is another guy who has been a victim of that. And even though he's still leading the league in saves, he's already had the most blown saves at this point in the season that he had all of last year. Yeah. And I think that's a the pitch clock has been a victim of that for him. They're obviously not going to send him down because he's still pitching really well. That's more of a coaching and more of a guidance in, in getting his rhythm down. Karinchek's stuff is way worse a yeah. little more dramatic and you know hey they're not going to set a timetable on it they're going to let this go and see how long it can take for him to kind of get back to the, the the capability level that they think they can have in him and in recent uh weeks they haven't had the worries as much about class a because we haven't seen him as much because the offense is there right. and you're not you're not in every night oh my god it's another one run game and here comes class a. i mean did he really have many opportunities earlier in this year when he came in in the ninth with a three-run lead? He did not. Sure. It was always a one-run game. Always. And you start to see, when you're blowing saves, but then you're also recording quite a bit of saves, I mean, it's easier to swallow, right? But he wasn't getting he wasn't getting the protection from the lineup earlier in those games. So uh, I can live with that personally yeah. as a fan and as someone who watches them consistently and covers them. I think, though, when it comes to Karinchek, you know, this bullpen now was their strength last year, even with him, even though he kind of bounced around a little bit. They're not really going to miss him that much, I don't think, because you have guys that are really, really filling that role. Sam Henschen is back, uh, Trevor Stephan, and Xavier Curry has been a staple in that bullpen um, and a guy who's been finally getting confidence in the yeah. middle relief role. So uh, Karen, they're going to wait. 
and see how he can go down there. In yeah, they have some options, and this is good. In fact, that they have offense that's been um, more productive, that takes a bit of the pressure off of things, and that's good to see, John. All right, another question uh, that fans have is, when are we going to see Bo? When will Bo Naylor come up from the minor leagues to join his, his brother, or are they manipulating his service time right now and hesitant to do that? Or do they want not want to admit that the uh, Zanino thing is right now not working for them? Uh, they've got a better catcher behind uh, defensively in in Cam Gallagher, but you know he's not a hitter. Neither guy hits for you. Yeah, the kid down in Columbus can bring the bat and certainly needs more and more improvement. Can he command? the pitching room, as it were. Can, sure. can, can he handle the rotation? Well, that's the key. And I, th- I think that's the big wondering, the big thing they're, they're factoring in, they're, they're, they're going to bring him up now. Is he that leader yet? He's still really young. I think a couple of things. One, the telltale sign of how they view the catching is with Mike Zanino. And I personally like Mike Zanino. I got to know him a lot when I was down in Tampa covering the Rays. Mm-hmm. He was a Lakeland, Florida native. So he was coming back home and he got traded from Seattle there and he played a couple of years. And actually two years ago before he hurt his shoulder, I mean, he was an all-star catcher. He had 19 home runs that year. And that was just a few years ago. And so they're hoping on a cheap deal that they could get him back with that shoulder. And he missed three quarters of the season last year with that shoulder. Clearly that shoulder is not, even though he said and said it felt great in spring training, sure. I don't think it's right. And you can tell by the defensive uh, liabilities there. I think a telltale sign of how they view the catching is – He's still on the roster, obviously. Like if this was any other team, I think they would have DFA'd him already. Also, when Shane Bieber pitches, Zanino's not catching him. It's Gallagher. That should tell you right then and there how they feel about it. Are they manipulating Bo Naylor's service time? The longer you keep him down here, the better for them. Yeah. They're more controlled, the less money. I think so. I think that's probably what it is. I don't think they're keeping Zanino just for the sake of, hey, we're paying him this amount of money. So let's get was it five million. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just they're they're taking their time on Zanino or on uh, on, on, Bonet, on on him. I do think we'll see him up here, but at some point this season, is it going to be you know middle of July, end of this month? I don't know. But the one question that I think fans forget when we evaluate this, and I want to see Bo Naylor up here, I really do, is if you bring him up here. He needs to be playing He's all play day. Five, six, you five, can, six you just can't have him up here catching two days of the week. Right. And so it's just not a good development for him. So if you can't commit to him that much, then you got to keep him down there. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I yeah. think it will happen at some point this season. Yeah, a- absolutely. I total, totally uh, uh, agree with you. So we've all agreed it's it's uh, it's the Guardians and the Twins more than likely just uh, racing through the rest of uh, the season and the last man standing is going to be the uh, divisional champ, and nobody's going to get in as a wild card. That certainly uh, yeah. doesn't look like it. Yeah. Not with the Guardians three yeah. games under, and I think the uh, the Twins just a game above. I, I think the AL East is that's where you're getting your wild card. All it just, it's just stacked: Baltimore, <laughs> Tampa, and New York. All those guys. And Toronto great. too. And Toronto too. Well, great to talk about you know the goings on of the 2023 Guardians here with uh, John Sable. John, you also uh, at Fox Aid did a, a phenomenal story and caught up with uh, uh, Jim Poole, former uh, Indians pitcher who has been stricken with ALS, and this is, seems to be uh, uh, heightened awareness that's being brought upon this this horrific disease by Major League Baseball, not just because of what's happened with Jim Poole, but because of uh, MLB uh, super researcher Sarah Langs, who has been stricken with the uh, disease and who is, uh, her cause has been kind of 
in the forefront of Major League Baseball. Uh, please tell our listeners the experience that it was for you to interview Jim. Uh, you went down uh, to catch up with him where he is he's deteriorated quite significantly has he not he has uh for those that don't know that didn't see it and if you want to see the story i have it on my facebook fan page uh just go to john sable tv and it's on there scroll down there you can find it and i did tweet some videos on it but i did this back in the fall we went down to his home in atlanta i met with him and met with his wife and at this point in time jim's um speech was probably about 80 percent gone and um, I have not talked to his wife in a few months, but I think it's I would imagine it's it's obviously progressed much, much worse from now uh, or from then to now. Um, he's been diagnosed now about a year and a half with ALS. And for those younger listeners that don't know who Jim Poole was, he was a lefty out of the bullpen for the Indians in, yeah. what, 94, 95, 96. He's the one that unfortunately gave up the home run of David Justice against the Braves to win the World Series in 95. And I talked to him about that, actually, and he laughs it off. And um, he still thinks it was, a, it was a big moment and doesn't regret it. And we, we had some light, fun conversations, and he talked about the disease. And I think the biggest thing when I took out of that conversation with him, and he was so positive. And he had such an emotional and loving message that, you know, this is a disease, but I am still very blessed. You know, I have my wife, I have my kids, I have my grandkids. I've had a wonderful life. You know, yeah, this is what's happening to me isn't great, but I've had a wonderful life and I'm still blessed. And I think for someone to say that in the physical and emotional and mindset to hear that was just, my mouth just kind of dropped. Like, my gosh, like that is so powerful. Yeah, You know, and, and it's a lesson. It, it's a life message, I should say, that I still take with me, you know, after hearing that, because everyone's going through something. Someone always has it worse off. But no matter how hard you're dealing with something, there's always a silver lining to it. You got to look at all the positives in your life. And Jim Poole is doing that. Uh, he's a very strong person, uh, still roots for the Guardians to this day. He has a strong bond with, we just talked about him moments ago, Zavion Curry, yeah. who uh, is the Guardians' middle relief pitcher. The reason why they have a good bond and friendship is because Jim Poole pitched at Georgia Tech back in uh, the 80s, and Zavion Curry, before you know he got drafted and rose the ranks in the Guardians organization, he pitched at Georgia Tech too, and Jim had put him under his wing, and they've kind of grown this bond together. And um, so... You know, to see ALS in baseball, what happened to Lou Gehrig and now with Sarah Langs, it's just so tragic. And just the similarities between all of their stories come together. And it's just, it, it's just remarkable. It's sad. It's inspiring. Um, it's, a, we got to make awareness to this disease that we need to have this go away. We need more money and more effort to eliminate this and more research to help because it is a 100% fatal disease that, yeah. that you know people aren't aware of and that there's not much you really can do. There's some little treatments that can kind of prolong the symptoms, but it's nothing spectacular. And and honestly, it's it's going to eventually get you, unfortunately. Yeah, 100% uh, that it, it's 100% fatal. That's where we are. And still research needs to be ramped up, uh, funding, all of those things. Uh, big shout out to MLB.com's Mandy, Mandy Bell. Bell. Yeah. Uh, God bless that young woman. She's, first of all, a, a tremendous writer and, and reporter. Uh, but her friendship with Sarah is just, it's really touching. And uh, the bond that those two have together and how she so much has the side of Sarah and her it has her back, if you will. You won't find a more loving set of friends 
Um, and it's truly inspiring. It is. And, and uh, just a big, huge shout out to, to, to Mandy as she, she maneuvers, you know, week in and week out her job covering uh, a major league baseball team while her best friend is, is dealing with this. And, and such a courageous young woman is Sarah. Uh, the fist bump challenge that she set out, just more and more awareness needs to be placed upon uh, what has been going and the significance of, you know, Lou Gehrig's uh, passing, the date the date that he passed away, and also the date that he, he ended his streak of 2130. Uh, yeah, 2130 2000. hits uh, May 2nd, which is also Sarah Lang's, I guess, birthday. Yeah. So those two have similarities too. Isn't that crazy? And then, uh, of course, Lou Gehrig passed away at the June 2nd, which was, you know, the next, a month later. Yeah. You know, um, it was a year, two years after he got diagnosed, I think, is uh, when he ended up passing away in, in 1941. He got diagnosed in 39. Um, and uh, we all we always hear the I, you know, I feel like I'm the luckiest man on the face yeah. of the earth. You know, I when, I, when I asked Jim Poole that, he's like, I always heard that in baseball. I always heard that on Lou Gehrig's day in the stadiums. and I ignored it. And then when I got stricken with ALS, I finally knew what he meant. Wow. And I got I still get goosebumps just yeah, you know, recounting he, that recounting yeah. that. And I did then. I'm doing it right now. You know, he gets it. And um, that was the same message. Like Sarah, Lou, and Jim all have the same message and feeling how blessed they are yeah. when they're dealing with this horrific disease. It's just remarkable. Yeah. So if you can, our, our great listeners here of this pod, keep Sarah in your heart and keep ALS in the front of your mind if you are able to uh, uh, donate towards uh, that incredible cause. Uh, it would certainly be much, much uh, appreciated. All right, let's switch gears real quickly here and, and get close to wrapping things up. You've been so gracious with your time, John. I, pr- I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's up? Uh, what's it been like doing the pod with your brother right here on the P- Press Play Podcast Network, the Sable Brothers uh, podcast? Uh, what's it been like working with your bro, your bro, <laughs> and uh, yeah. what's in the hopper? Yeah, it's so it's crazy. We're approaching episode 50 soon. So we have to figure out something special to do on that particular day. Um, we've taken a kind of a month break just because of our schedules and he's been busy with family time. My nephew, uh, Scott's son graduated high school and going to college in the fall and, um, vacations and all that sort of stuff. And it just coincides with the lull of the summer in sports too. But, um, we're ramping it back up here shortly. We've got, um, Travis Fryman, former Indians third baseman, longtime player who still now works for the organization. He'll be coming on soon. We'll be recording that here this week. Um, we're going to get Jim Tomey at some point this summer. And he's been a hard get. Uh, he's had a lot of, uh, he's busy at MLB Network, busy coaching his son's baseball team in Illinois. So uh, who went to the state. Um, this kid hitting tape measures like the old I, man? I'm going to find out. I know he's a freshman in high school, or high school, and I know he's hit, hitting really well. So I would assume so. That's in that Tommy blood. Uh, we're going to try to track down a couple former Browns uh, quarterbacks. There's a long list that we have that we want to get to. Um, we're going to have a couple other former Indians pitchers from the 90s that are going to stop on at some point throughout the year. And then we're going to get Browns heavy too um, later on this fall to try to get, uh, you know, Kevin Mack's going to stop in now. He works in the Browns alumni department. He'll he'll hop on. And then a couple other guests here that uh, as we get through baseball and football season, as we turn that corner, we'll get back into Cavs chatting at some point as well. But yeah, it's fun. You know, you know, Scott and I started this down two years ago and it's kind of taken off. And, you know, we've interviewed so many people from, you know, Mark Price to Jim Tressel to Joe Thomas to... Yeah. Jim Nance, Sean Kemp, Craig Elo, uh, <laughs> Eric Metcalf. Uh, I'm, I know I'm missing some obvious ones in there. Brian Anderson obviously was one. Greg Pruitt, 
you know, there's a long list. You could sure. find them out here if you haven't already. But um, Baker Mayfield's agent was on there with us last summer when all this stuff kind of hit the fan at the end. But uh, it's it's a fun thing that he and I do. It's it's a we have we have a couple of things in common. We, we love Cleveland sports. We're former athletes in our own right, I guess you can say. We love the history of sports, so we like to kind of go into the history sides of interviewing these athletes and former these figures that have a side that maybe they have not been told before. Um, we just our our last one we did uh, about a month ago, and I don't know if you saw it, JT. Was it? It was a, a kind of our do, our first documentary style podcast. Okay, where we did the failed Cleveland Dome Stadium yes. projects, where we had uh, former Ohio Governor uh, Dick Celeste and. Um, uh, Tom Chema, who was the Gateway Executive Director. Covered those gentlemen. I remember that. You, you remember quite, those days. Quite clearly back in those days. And, and if you haven't listened to it, and if you hadn't listened to it, Chema, who was the Executive Director of Gateway, gave us a couple Art Modell untold stories on there. So that's a good tease. But it's been fun. We love doing it. Um, we're going to ramp it up here once the summer kicks in here. Um, get through family stuff and have a lot of fun. Well, it's it's just great to hear you guys, your your combined love of sports together on the pod. And it, what a great thing to be able to share with your brother, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I grew up in the same manner. My brother and I were really big on sports as kids. My brother has his own uh, uh, profession that he does down in Columbus. And uh, and I have mine up here in Cleveland, so we don't really hook up to talk sports, uh, maybe being at a Buckeye game every once yeah. in a while, that that type of stuff. So that's great that you guys are able to enjoy that. I uh, advise all of our listeners to uh, give the Sable Brothers a listen. One of the many outstanding pods on the Press Play Podcast Network. John, thanks very much for your time, my friend. And uh, we'll just close out here real quickly for our listeners about your guardians. They've got a short road trip out west. They're going to San Diego for three and then Arizona for three. Then they will uh, have a day off and be back in northeast Ohio. We'll see if they can keep the run production going. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to be fun to see there. So thanks again to John Sable and thank you for your great listenership here on the pod. Keep uh, subscribing, rating, and reviewing on all those platforms you listen to. I appreciate it so, so very much. And we will catch you on the next time that we pop in here on the Press Play Podcast Network with the Guardians of the Land MLB Podcast. We'll see you the next time around.